0: Edward Sree, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. Hi, and welcome back to this special edition of All Things Catholic. We've been featuring a talk I gave on my new book, Into His Likeness Be Transformed as a Disciple of Christ. Last week we featured part one. Here is part two of that talk that was recorded in Fargo, North Dakota in April 2018. Now, do I have that upward movement? I'm going to go back to the slide here. So there's this upward movement where I'm striving to imitate Christ. Do I have that desire within me? Am I seeking this out? And and, and you know from your experience, right, that once the, your faith life starts to click, you start going, this is important, I want to live this out, and you're striving to imitate Christ, what happens? It's really, really easy to grow in virtue and be holy, right? <laughs> you start realizing how hard it is you know, all of a sudden, once you're trying to work against your own weakness, you, you, you come up against it, and you, you notice it. You know, when you weren't trying to overcome your weaknesses, life was pretty easy, right? It's kind of like in Lent. You know how, like, I, you can, you know, in the ordinary time, if you, you have a busy day and you have to skip lunch, you don't even notice it. You just kind of move on, you just have a cup of coffee, and you're fine. But on Ash Wednesday, it's like, Oh, oh, I can't wait till I get my meal at the dinner time. Because right? you, you, you're working against something. And that's what's happening on the inside. You know, sometimes our spiritual life, it reminds me of my daughter, Eleanor. This is my little daughter, Eleanor. She's about to turn two. Have you ever seen a kid take their first step? That's pretty exciting. But I think even more fascinating is when a child takes their first jump. And little Eleanor, back in the fall she had her older siblings trying to teach her how to jump. It was really fun. What they would do is they would, they they'd gather, they'd put her in the middle of the living room, they'd make a big circle around her and they'd go, Eleanor, bend your knees. And she'd bend her knees and say, okay, let's jump. Ready, three, two, one, jump. And they'd all be jumping and Eleanor would bend her knees and she'd try to take off, but she couldn't get off the ground. <laughs> And she'd be laughing, and they'd laugh. They'd say, let's try again. Ready, Eleanor? Three, two, one, jump. And and once again, no takeoff. She just can't get off the ground, and she's laughing again. But after about seven or eight tries of jumping, she's not laughing anymore after all these failed takeoffs. (laughs) She's getting frustrated, and she's starting to say, no, no more, no more. She would walk away and didn't want to do it anymore. That's how we can feel sometimes. We can feel that way in our one walk with the Lord. Why is my spiritual life not taking off? How come my prayer life isn't getting better? How come I'm not overcoming this weakness? Why do I have all these struggles in my marriage? How how come parenting isn't as easy as I thought it was going to be? What's going on here? And I just feel like my life is not taking off. What do I do in those moments? This is when we're hitting our Peter moment in life. What do I do there? This is absolutely crucial. But I'm going to share with you right now, when we hit this moment like Peter, when we hit this moment where we just feel like my life is just a bunch of scribbles, a scribble drawing, when I and I feel incapable of, of giving more and loving more and serving, I just feel like I can't change. What do I do at this moment? The temptation is to fall into despair. And it can look in two different ways. On one hand, I just like, Oh, I'm going to just give up. Why bother? I can't do this. So why bother even trying? That's despair. I could also fall into just discouragement where I'm like, Oh, I can't believe I did that. Oh, I can't believe I'm not better. I mean, I'm involved in my parish. I came to this conference and I just can't believe I'm not not good enough as a Christian. That's the voice of the devil. Notice how much we're focusing on ourselves. I can't believe I did that. Because the ideal image I have of myself as a Christian is being shattered as I run up against my own weakness. What do I do at this moment? You know, the spiritual life is not about the Nike approach to spirituality in the Catholic world. What's the Nike approach? The Nike approach, remember the Nike slogan, just do it. We come to a point where we realize, I just can't do it. And then what do I do? I can fall in discouragement, I can fall in despair... But the way forward, I want to share with you, is from one of my favorite saints, St. Saint Therese of Lisieux. She once felt this overwhelming obstacle of trying to get over her sins and weaknesses. Her sister Celine was feeling this as well. Her sister Celine wrote her letter and said, Therese, I feel like all of my sins, here I am with all my weaknesses, and to get to God is like climbing this tall mountain. And I can't climb that mountain, it's just too big, it's too hard. I, I'm so weak. And Therese wrote back, and she said, Celine, you're trying to scale the mountain of sanctity, but God wants to meet you down low in the fertile valley of humility. I love that image. We're trying to scale the mountain of sanctity to get up there, but I can't. I just can't take off. And what Therese is saying, no, God wants to meet you down here as you are. Not as you'd like to be, not as you hope to be someday, not in the ideal image you have of yourself. No, 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 no. God wants to meet you as you are right now, in your brokenness, in all the messiness. Will I allow God in here? And and if I do this, three amazing things can happen. If I come to Jesus like Peter did on the shores of Galilee, Lord, this is the best I can do. I'm not capable of agape love. If I come to Jesus as I really am. You see, Jesus wants to meet the real me. He wants to meet the real me, not the image, not the ideal, not what I hope to be, not what I pretend to be. He wants to meet the real me. Will I let him in? And the first thing that happens is I come to experience God's love in a profound way. And i got to be honest with you, this idea of God loves you. I remember as a kid growing up in the 80s and the 90s, and I remember my youth group and college campus ministry, they always talked about God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. They didn't talk about anything else, about the Eucharist, about conversion, about the moral life, but it was all God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. And I was kind of like, okay, yeah, yeah, God loves you, but can we move on to more interesting things? things? Things like apologetics or prayer or the mass, and you know, yeah. I mean, I know God loves me because God loves everybody, and I'm a part of everyone, so God loves me. Yeah. Okay, great. Let's get down to the deep stuff. But the message of God loves you. Do I have I really experienced God meeting me as I really am? Have I encountered God in that profound way? That's a different story here. You know, in our utilitarian age, so many young people are trained. To grow up thinking we have to earn our love. We have to earn love. That love's based on how I perform. How I, what I achieve in my classroom, in my sports, in my activities. And, you know, do I please my parents? Can I please my coach? Do I please my teachers? And it's all about performance. Uh, and if, I, if I'm in a dysfunctional family environment, I got to act a certain way and not bring up certain topics in order to keep other people happy so that I can be loved. So I'm always thinking it's how I act. That's, that's what I do to earn love. And then I grew up in a world of social media and screens and it's all about what image I projected myself, what story I can tell and and, and do I get enough likes and do people notice me? And and again, I'm thinking about what I can do to earn love and that's so exhausting. As I'm blessed to work with many college chaplains and priests and religious sisters that do work with young adults, not just on campus ministry, but young professionals in their 20s and 30s around the country, they all tell me the same kind of thing. That this younger generation, you know, they they can kind of put on the smiley face, and it's like, hey, it's all good, I'm living the dream. But on the inside, they feel like junk. Because they've been constantly told, love is about what you do to earn it, you, what, how you perform and when they actually get real with their campus minister or their, their young adult chaplain, you know, at, a, at, a, at some big city, they, they, they get real and they admit their weaknesses, their insecurities, and some wounds, maybe some, some bad habits they have, behavioral things. And when they're honest about that, it's just a profound moment of change. They've never been able to just be real. And then the priest may come back, couple months later and say, hey, do you remember when you first admitted your struggle with that thing? What did you think about the way I responded to you? How did you think about the way I responded? And the young adult will say something like, I was blown away. I couldn't believe it. I mean, you didn't judge me. You didn't reject me. You didn't look down on me. You you were still my friend. I've never seen anything like that. And then the priest or the sister will say something like this. If that's how I as a human being and all my fallibility look at you, imagine how God Looks at you. Imagine how God looks at you. And then once they say that, all these young adults they just start melting. They just start—they're in tears. They just—they've never experienced this kind of love. To know that when my life feels like just a scribbled drawing, that God looks at this and He delights in this as much as He would the Sistine Chapel. Now, don't get me wrong, God wants to change us. He wants us, you know, if my three-year-old daughter is 12 years old and she still can't draw a square, we have a problem, right? So we need to be changed, right? But that doesn't change my love for her, though. Whether she can draw a perfect square or it's a scribbled line, that I still love her because love cannot be earned. You can't earn love from a coach. You can't earn it from a parent. You can't earn it from a boss. And you certainly can't earn it from God. Love cannot be earned. It has to be received. You know, I remember my first child, my daughter, my eldest daughter. I remember, you know, we brought the baby home on Thanksgiving Day. And, you know, we're we're sleeping and we're just staying up all night. I remember it was probably a couple weeks in. I was just in our living room in the middle of the night holding the baby and all of a sudden the baby's just looking into my eyes. I remember her brown eyes staring straight into mine and she's just looking at me and I was just overwhelmed by love. And I heard parents talk about this before but I'd never experienced it. all of a sudden I was like, oh, I love you. I mean, I was just really just overcome and, and I'm just looking at her and i just, I love you. And this baby did nothing to earn my love. I mean, she's just there. She's, if anything, she's just keeping me up all night and she's crying and it's stressful. But I just, I love you. And then all of a sudden, there's like poop coming out and she's spinning up on me. But I love you. And I think God gives us that experience as a parent to understand his love for us. That even though we kick and scream like a baby sometimes in life, And we make a mess. We have our own poopy diapers and spit up in our sins and our lack of trust and our weaknesses. But God is like this. I love you. Have you encountered God's love at that deep way? Because when you do that, it changes everything. If we keep going on thinking love has to be earned, is how I perform, you're always having to keep up the performance. And it's exhausting and it's never stable. It's never a solid foundation for your life. Let God and His love for you be the foundation for your life. He loves you. He knows your name. You're called by name for a profound relationship with Him. Now, the next point is we're also, we realize that if we come to God as we really are, even though I'm a mess, and not only love, but I, I, I could be forgiven. All I have to do is just turn to him and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, forgive me. Especially in confession. No matter what I've done, no matter how many times I've done it, do I turn to him and trust that he wants to forgive me. Because he's not there just looking at the legal violations. You did this wrong on this date, and then you did this wrong again on this date. No, that, God's not the divine traffic cop. He's our loving father. And sometimes I'll see my kids where they'll do something wrong, and I could pull out the yellow flag and say, "Uh uh-oh, flag on the play, personal foul, 15 yards, you're going to get a penalty. You know, I could look at it that way. But sometimes I'll see my kids where they'll do something wrong, and I'm about to issue discipline, but then all of a sudden they realize what they did was wrong. And you can tell they feel badly about it. Like, I'm picturing one boy right now. All of a sudden, when he really he does something wrong. And then we make eye contact, like Jesus and Peter on Holy Thursday night. <laughs> kind of make a little eye contact. There, and all of a sudden, his face, his continence just goes down. He's just like oh I'm sorry and then he'll go and apologize to his little sibling that he just did something wrong to him but he's changing on his own and as a father I saw yeah there was something wrong that was done but I see more than the legal violation I see more than the sin more than the mistake I see his heart and his heart feeling badly already and he wants to set things right that's how God looks at us God wants to forgive us he wants to love us but thirdly there's a third thing he wants to heal us He wants to change us. He wants to transform us. Now, here, I want to tell you a story, a great conversion story. It's not the kind of conversion story that's going to make a lighthouse Catholic CD. It's not going to be something you're going to hear on EWTN or Catholic radio, but it is a profound story for every ordinary disciple like you and me. It's a story about a young gal who, when she was four and a half years old, she lost her mother. Her mother died. And before this, she was very joyful and outgoing and uh, really friendly and and confident. But after her mom died, her whole temperament just changed. She was very insecure, very nervous around other people, uh, and and was very emotionally sensitive. She she couldn't control her emotions. The littlest things would set her off and she'd start crying, and then she'd feel bad for crying, so she would cry again over having cried. She couldn't control her emotions. You may have heard of this young gal. Her name was St. Therese of Lisieux. And St. Therese of Lisieux struggled with this weakness of not being able to control her emotions. She would just get depressed, discouraged, and start crying so easily. For 10 years, she was begging God, please change me. Please change me. She's trying and trying. Like, like my little daughter, Eleanor, wanting to take off and, and jump, but she just couldn't do it. And Therese couldn't do it. But one day, when she's 14, she goes with her dad and her sister Celine to the midnight mass for Christmas Eve. And they come home from Christmas Eve mass, and there was the tradition in France of you know, the, the father would leave out shoes for the little children, and they would put they would put little candies in the shoes, and you know. But Therese is 14, you know. She's not, she's not almost, you know, getting beyond this. And the father is tired. He was at a long mass, and he's a little bit grumpy. And while Therese is going up the stairs, he over she overhears her father complaining about this little tradition. And he's kind of like, well, I, I'm hoping this is the last year I have to do this for little Therese, and kind of just you know a little grumpy about this. And Therese hears that, and this is the kind of thing that would immediately set Therese off. And Celine is on the stairs as well, and Celine hears this and she's looking at Therese and she knows Therese is about to break down. Her eyes are welling up. She's about to cry. And Celine's like, oh, no, Therese, don't go downstairs. Go, just go to bed. Pretend you didn't hear it. Don't ruin Christmas. <laughs> and, and, and all of a sudden, Therese finds this inner strength she never found before. And she suddenly finds herself able to do something she had never been able to do for 10 years, and that is control her emotions well. And she puts on a smiley face, she turns around, she goes downstairs, pretends she never heard it, and she says, Hi, Papa, oh, the candies, the the gifts, oh, thank you, thank you. And Celine is looking at us going, did that just happen? What's going on here? Listen to what Therese says about this. Therese calls this her conversion, the moment of her conversion. She says, forcing back the tears, I descended the stairs rapidly, controlling the poundings of my heart. I took my slippers and placed them in front of Papa and withdrew all the objects joyfully. I had the happy appearance of a queen. Having regained his own cheerfulness, Papa was laughing and Celine believed it was all a dream. (laughs) Fortunately, it was a sweet reality. Therese had discovered once again the strength of soul she had lost at the age of four and a half and she was to preserve it forever. Now again, this doesn't sound like a dramatic conversion story like Protestant minister becomes Catholic you know or or this guy was in a punk rock band doing drugs and then he finds Jesus this isn't that kind of a conversion story but yet it's a profound moment of conversion that when we experience God's love we experience his forgiveness we come to him as we really are we can also experience real change maybe you struggle in controlling your emotions and you get discouraged really easily come to Jesus like Therese honest as you are and beg him for your help but maybe it's other issues maybe you struggle with losing your temper you just get mad all the time and it's wiping your wife and your kids out beg jesus for help maybe you struggle with purity and you can't control your eyes and your glances and what you look at it and you just god i want to change i beg you please help you know, do it me when i can't do on my own Whatever issue that you're facing, God wants to heal you of those wounds. He wants to change you. He wants to transform you into his likeness from one degree of glory to another. You see, we have to remember that following Jesus as a disciple doesn't mean you have to be perfect. Now, God wants us to be perfect. He says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. But... We're, we may not be perfect, but we're still chosen. We're still called by name. When you look at the disciples, the disciples in the gospels were they models of perfection? Think about the disciples. Were they models of perfection? No, they're, they're they're a bunch of knuckleheads. They keep getting it wrong all the time. They misunderstand Jesus. They're afraid. They all abandon him. Almost all of them abandon him on Good Friday, right? So they make a bunch of mistakes. The disciples in the gospels are not models of perfection. They're models of a process a process of transformation. Pope Benedict emphasizes this point. He says the saints have not just fallen from heaven like they just came down all packaged. Ooh, what what a saint. No, they're people like us who have complicated problems. Holiness does not consist in never having erred or sinned. That's not what holiness consists of. Holiness increases the capacity for conversion, for repentance, for willingness to start again. And we can all learn this way of holiness when I look at a St. Peter and you just see how many mistakes he made and then you see him finally coming to Jesus humbly on the shores of Galilee I, I I thought I could love you but I honestly I can't I'm not good at this and then you see him be changed and suddenly he's this bold proclaimer of the gospel at Pentecost he's willing to go to prison. Finally. He didn't do it early on, but now he goes into prison. He ends up dying in Rome. He is a changed man. When I look at Peter, if God could work that transformation, a man like Peter, he could do the same thing in you and me. How do I grow in this transformation, though? This is the last thing I want to consider. I want to close with the four habits of a disciple. What are the four things we need to do if we want to renew our walk with the Lord to encounter his love anew day in and day out? What are the four habits of a disciple? I want to be clear as I share this with you. These are not my little takes on discipleship. There's many great... Approaches to discipleship out there. People might talk about the seven habits of highly effective disciples, you know. Or they may talk about, you know, here are the six signs of a really engaging disciple. You know, there's all these you know wonderful creative ways we could go after this. That's so helpful, but I think it's best to base it on God's Word and our Catholic tradition. And the Catholic Church has always turned to the four habits that are listed in Acts 2.42, right after Pentecost. What were the four things the earliest disciples devoted themselves to? These are so important. That all throughout the ages, in the medieval period, after the Council of Trent, and even in our own modern times, when the church has wanted to sum up what is the Catholic faith all about, it's turned to these four habits in Acts 2.42 to sum it all up. Do you know those four habits? What did the apostles devote themselves to? They devoted themselves, first of all, to prayer. Think of these as four encounter moments. I renew my encounter with the Lord. And the first thing we need to do is pray. We have to have a daily prayer life. And that means more than just saying some prayers. That means more than just saying, bless us, O Lord, or reciting the rosary. Uh, All that's wonderful. But do we have dedicated time every day, say 20 minutes a day at least, 20, 30 minutes a day, set aside to just talk to God, to read the Bible, to listen to Him, to have quiet, to share from our heart. This isn't about turning your holy hour into study hall. You know, where you go to the chaplain and you're just reading good books during a holy hour. You can read good books. That's a good thing, spiritual reading. But to actually take time for dialogue. To talk to God about what I'm reading. Lord, what, what does this say to me? How does this apply to my life? It's so important that we have a daily prayer life. You know, one thing I, I just admire my wife. You know, we have a busy household. She's running a household with eight kids. And she knows how much she needs to pray. To be the mom she wants to be or the wife she wants to be. And so my wife has this commitment to prayer that begins the night before. The night before, she goes downstairs, she makes her coffee. She puts it in a little thermos and that thermos sits right by her bedside so that when she wakes up in the morning as soon as that alarm goes off she rolls out of bed, she sits on the floor right by her bed, opens up the shade she's looking out the beautiful Colorado Rocky Mountains and she's got her coffee right there to help her be awake for prayer time. She knows that if she doesn't do that and she has to go downstairs to pray there's going to be eight little people saying Mom, I need this, Mom, where did I need this? So she just knows she's got to get the prayer time in first because she wants to give our children, not just her own self. She wants to give them Jesus and let Jesus love them through her. But we can't do that when we're not praying. We need to pray, and the same is true in our work, the same is true in our parishes, the same is true in our marriages. My wife deserves a lot more than Ted Suri's love. Tesseree's love has some noble elements, but it also is selfish and proud and has a lot of insecurities. It it needs Jesus radiating through me. If we want to live a prayer life, we can uh, deeply, we, we can live out then what Mother Teresa's sisters pray every day before they go out and serve the poorest of the poor. They pray, Jesus, may every soul we come in contact with look up and see no longer me, but you, Jesus, shining through me. Wouldn't that be wonderful if every person we come in contact with comes in contact with Jesus. That can't really happen if I'm not committed to a daily prayer life. That's the most important habit. That's why I spend the most time on that one, but briefly, the last three, we need to frequent the sacraments. We need to go to mass regularly, not just on Sunday. Can we go to mass sometimes maybe during the week? Can we stop by the chapel and visit Jesus in adoration? Can we can we can we go to confession not just once a year at Lent, but monthly? taking time to experience his forgiveness and his healing grace in our lives. We need prayer. We need the sacraments. We also need fellowship. I can't live this Christian life on my own. I need other brothers and sisters to run beside me, to help me. You know, my wife's a distance runner and she tells stories about how, you know, she can go and she'll go run maybe three or five miles and she could do that on her own. But when she's with a friend, she can just keep running and running. Like she was planning like a simple five-mile run and I, she, it, she was like an hour late and I go, honey, what happened? She goes, oh no, we just kept running and I realized I was at 12 miles. I couldn't believe it. I go, honey you almost ran a half marathon by accident you know but when you got a running partner you can run farther And if you want to go far with Jesus, you need other brothers and sisters. We need fellowship with others. And we encounter other people, the people in our lives, and we encounter Jesus in them. And we grow in love by serving our spouse, serving our kids, serving the people in our community, and especially serving the poor, those in greatest need. So fellowship in the works of mercy, that's the the, the third key habit a disciple needs. And finally... We need to follow the apostles' teachings. That's what Acts 2.42 says. Those earliest disciples dedicated themselves to the apostles' teachings to studying the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's my question for you. Do you make it a priority to form your mind? Do you make it a priority to fill your mind with the teachings of Christ passed on through the church? Uh, there's a battle going on for our minds right now. In a secular culture, our culture is trying to constantly get us to look at what life is all about, what is success, what is love, what is marriage, what is sex all about. This is just all, we're just bombarded with all of these other messages from our secular world. If you don't take, time to fill your mind with the truth, regularly doing some good reading about the Catholic faith, like reading the Bible, reading the Catechism, many great resources out there, taking time to go to a conference like this. All of this is about transforming your mind. So these are the four habits of a disciple. If you want to walk with Jesus, you want to go deeper with Jesus, you want to encounter him anew so that you can be changed You need a prayer life, you need the frequenting of the sacraments, you need fellowship, you need to form your mind with the teachings of the apostles. My friends, I hope this is helpful in your own walk with the Lord. This is the journey that we are set upon when Jesus first calls us. It begins, for those of us who are baptized as children, there's usually an awakening that happens sometimes in our adult years. But let's remember, like Mary, her yes was not just At Nazareth, at the Annunciation, that first fiat. As Pope John Paul II said, Mary had to renew her fiat over and over and over again. At the Nativity, at the presentation when Simeon talks about the sword that's going to pierce her. At Cana when she sends her son off to begin the public ministry. Watching him be misunderstood and plotted against. Watching him die on the cross, Mary is constantly having to say, yes. And Jesus is calling you by name, not just one time in the past, but he continues to call you to grow closer to him, to take that next step as a disciple. Will you say yes? So thank you so much for for uh, this, this time here. All that I'm drawing from is on this book here, the Into His Likeness Be Transformed. Uh, as a disciple of Christ. I know a lot of people use this for small group study. There's questions at the end of every chapter. You can also use it just for your own individual use if you're wanting to follow Jesus more in discipleship. This talk was recorded in Fargo in April 2018. If you enjoyed this talk, please share this podcast with family or friends. If you want to learn more about my book, Into His Likeness, you can go to my website, edwardsree.com. You can also connect with me there or on Facebook or Twitter. God bless.